Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The topic of the conversation is Snatch. It's an ensemble film from 2002. British-American crime comedy film, which is a very strange idea. A crime comedy film. It has a, has, it does have a kind of interesting structure there, don't you think? Because it's, it's built in certain ways like a, like a heist movie, really. In my way of thinking, it feels almost like Ocean's Eleven. Especially because it is an ensemble film, so you get these different characters coming through. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, comedy, that's a... It's quite an interesting take. Hi there, this is Luke. On today's episode, we talk about pacing, editing, and balancing comedy with crime in Guy Ritchie's Snatch. Is are embarrassing yourself here, lads. Kids, stab, girls, shoot, boys, punch, grown-ups, fight with their heads. Mom, I made a big mistake. I think I need to call 911. Doc is blind, jab. Count with cross to left cheek. Discombobulate. This man is dangerous. It is said he is able to cue. Impossible. We have seen it. Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Yes. So what do you do? Something very silly. You freeze. And your life doesn't flash before you because you're too fucking scared to think. You just freeze and pull a stupid face. But the pikey didn't. Why? I, I do agree with the sentiment. It isn't a formal structuring of a team. So I think it would lack some of the formalism of an actual heist film, but it does very much feel like that. Like you see all of these disparate characters in their like natural habitat and then the the story brings them all together. Whereas in, in a heist film, you have all these disparate characters in their natural habitat and the mastermind brings them all together to create the story. But it, it does feel very similar. And I think the the comedy is definitely something we should talk about. I don't know um, how familiar you are are with Guy Ritchie's filmography, but I feel like the the comedy and to a large part the crime have both been constants in his films and finding that balance of how do you have enough comedy to keep it lighthearted and engaging, but not becoming saccharine or distracting and then how do you kind of maintain that balance so the dramatic beats actually land as drama and you don't get into this this kind of mindset as a viewer where you think it's all just stakeless comedy i just i just want to real touch on real quick was kind of open with uh, those different dug the head and stuff like that you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i don't even know what you would call it like, like the kind of title sequence or, or whatever yeah that feels kind of like a feels kind of like a trope. Honestly, I'd be hard-pressed to name a lot of movies that have that, like, specifically. The only one that comes to mind is uh, The Losers with, you know, Idris Elba and Captain America and uh, all those. I think when that opened, it had, like, they would, like, say something and then it has that kind of... Like a freeze-frame cartoon Yeah, freeze-frame like card come up that has their name and stuff like that. But it does feel almost like a trope, you know, like, <laughs> that you'll see parodied and stuff like that. And that, I wonder if that's kind of like part of that vibe too. I just wanted to, I guess, also talk about, well, you mentioned uh, kind of the drama that it hangs on. My way of thinking, like, I think is that that really comes down to Brad Pitt, really. He's like kind of the protagonist in that sense, right? Because, I mean, everyone else has their own interests, but uh, a lot of times they're a lot more banal or base, you know, chasing after the diamond, really, or it's business to everyone else, right? But I guess uh, Jason's... Is it Statham? Statham? Statham. <laughs> Statham. Okay. His character, I mean, and, and Tommy, they're kind of the little guy in a sense, right? They're just trying to keep their heads 
uh, you know, stay alive. Yeah, I think like everyone else has kind of a an interest in another way where they're in it for the money. Brad Pitt, his character Mickey, you know, like he's uh, part of that in group with the with the gypsies and um, you know, they they kill his mom. Spoiler alert. So you know, I think he did a great job at that because. It's like a really, really interesting character. You see that kind of gypsy lifestyle that is like definitely foreign, certainly I think to American audience. I don't know if it's a little more uh, prolific an idea in, in like Europe or, or the UK in particular. So I, that's like a really cool part of the film to be able to see that. He's like a, he's a good actor, you know? And, and so, yeah, I guess that's what I gotta say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Going off that, one thing I think makes Snatch interesting and it's something repeated across several films of, of Guy Ritchie is the the lack of a protagonist. Because there's not really, like, I don't know. To me, there's not really a, a singular protagonist in the film. I think probably the, the best case would be made for Jason Statham's character because he is the narrator and we do open and close with him. And he's probably, like, he's, he's the one we stick with the most, but we we spend a lot of time in the film away from him, right? And he he, he isn't even necessarily the most active character because a lot of what happens is kind of forced onto him, right? Especially by the well, it's not it's block, isn't it? Something block. Who's the guy that feeds people was, to pigs? Did I have brick in his name? Uh, yeah, Bricktop. Bricktop. There you go. Bricktop is the aggravator is the active person that impels a lot of Statham's actions. I don't know. I kind of feel like there's there's not someone who you immediately think of as the protagonist just because it jumps around so much and you have ultimately the the entirety of the diamond story has nothing to do with Statham. He he gets the diamond at the end. So I guess okay, I guess I'm actually arguing against the point I set out to try to make of <laughs> him not being the protagonist because he is in charge of the he is the main guy in the boxing storyline and then he's essentially telling us about the diamond storyline because he ends up with it at the end. But uh, I I think the strength. Well, I mean, it's that, almost a battle royale. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I interrupted you. <laughs> no, I I I kind of like that idea of the battle royale. I was just gonna say I think. The when Guy Ritchie, when his films work well, it's because he has that kind of um, wide array of realistic characters, or there's a, a depth to the characters in his films that work well. I just uh, saw Operation Fortune Rustiger, which just came out in the U.S. It had like a really botched release. I don't know if that was COVID or what, because it was supposed to come out last year i feel like a long time ago and it's i don't know it, it's had a really weird release and it's finally starting to open in theaters in the in the u.s widely and it isn't even a bad film so i thought i thought maybe like when it didn't come out that maybe the studio thought it was a flop and was trying to dump it on streaming or something but anyways that's that's neither here nor there i think that was one of his his weaker entries of late because just the characters felt more like they were just served to to be like wills or cogs in like the plot machinations, not so much as characters who were existing in this world and were 
causing things to happen and having things happen to them. Like in Snatch, where Brad Pitt chooses not to throw the fight and the three black guys, they choose to to take up the the Russians offer to kick over the the betting stand. And they kind of like have their own lives. And even if you don't see a lot of it, you feel like they have their own lives outside of the the plot where, you know, the guy, he runs his little corner jewelry store and, you know, he maybe has some acquaintances with less savory people. You know, he says just, hey, we know diamonds, just keep being a gangster or whatever to the guy who brings in the, the fake diamond to him early in the film. And, you know, Brad Pitt, he's just over you know, ripping people off and coursing and hanging out with the gypsies. And Statham was pretty happy as a, is uh, setting up his boxing fights, boxing promoter work. And they get drawn into this story. Whereas Operation Fortune, the characters felt really flat and they just didn't, they only existed to serve the, the plot is what I felt out of Operation mm-hmm. Fortune. And also I think part of the problem is probably the scale. Um, I feel like, Richie's probably better at the the crime saga or like this this crime drama type film than Operation Fortune is trying to be like a Mission Impossible or James Bond level, you know, worldwide threat and kind of like an espionage private contractor type film. And I think it's a bit of an overreach for him or maybe, you know, they just didn't get their script wise or whatever it was, but I felt like it didn't work nearly as well as uh, his other work. Yeah, you know what, what stands out to me, like from a style point, it seems like a very chaotic movie. You know, it's it's moving between characters a lot. Uh, they all have, you know, their different, like I said, motivations and and their different story plots that all come together and they're interwoven. They bounce off one another, which is like why I say it's is kind of a battle royale film in a sense. I'm curious. I don't know. The movie was released in 2000, so. You know, it was definitely an earlier work from Guy Ritchie, and it, and it followed on the uh, on the hills of Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Um, I'm I'm curious if you've seen that movie. I have, yeah. Okay, because I'm wondering like how much because that one, according to my understanding, like is a crime comedy as well. I really don't know too much about it. If you kind of read his Guy Ritchie's bio, it, it talks about his work includes like British gangster films and and the Sherlock Holmes movies. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the Sherlock Holmes, there it's kind of apples and oranges in a sense, but I think you can see some of the of his work peek through. Like if if you, if you if you compared them and you were asked like were these made by the same person, there might be something in there that that would suggest that yeah, they were some consistency it, it, with him as a well, I don't know as, as a writer as a director. So I'm wondering like how does this lock stack up to to lock stock and two smoking barrels in, in in like content or or just even as in form yeah so lock stock and two smoking barrels is to me just a lower budget snatch and i i don't even think guy Ritchie would take umbrage at that fact um in the commentary for snatch he he talks about how when they wrapped up lock stock um him and his producer for his first uh, several features, Matthew Vaughn, who was also on the commentary, they went into to Snatch and it, it's kind of retreading the same ground. And there's actually 
uh, Richie mentions that there was quite a bit of things that they that didn't make the cut for Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and that he was able to recycle and put into Snatch, which I think speaks to how close the two films are. From reading a couple of reviews in preparation for this, there were actually some people who, who think that Snatch is not as good of a film as Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, like Robert Eagers, um, who, you know, I think he's he's a great uh, writer and right. he's, a, he's a really good critic as well, but I don't always agree with his takes. But I think maybe with respect to Lock, Stock, and Snatch, I think it might be that whichever you see first is one that you prefer. And I'm just saying that because... I view it as the exact opposite as some of the reviewers I was seeing online that Lock, and, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is just a lesser snatch, whereas some of the reviews I was reading is that Snatch is trying to like recapture the, the spark from Lock, Stock and failing to do so. And because they're so very similar, right? It's an ensemble cast. It's this UK crime comedy very fast paced, very gritty, um, and kind of uh, the, those large characters. So with with respect to Snatch, uh, when asked what it was about, Guy Ritchie said, the story is about big, large characters, sort of cartoon-like. It's really just about having a romp with a load of fellas. And uh, talking about kind of his how he, he goes about these stories like Lock, Stock, and like Snatch. They're fast-paced, quick-moving, try not to have any fat on it whatsoever, is what he says. Mm. And you can feel that. It's, it's very, um, very fast-paced, yeah, just super lean storytelling, which I think is a, a strength to, to Guy Ritchie because, uh, like, <laughs> when asked why he like what he thought about film school, or if he went to film school, he's like, "Nah, I, I didn't go. I saw I saw like shorts from people who were in film school or came from film school, and I thought everything that they made was super boring." <laughs> Which I think just speaks <laughs> so much to his whole filmmaking philosophy, and he wants you know he wants to be entertained. That's I think that's one reason why he loves the the comedy, why he loves crime comedy so much cuz there's that something innately fascinating about, you know, watching these underground characters and their their dangerous death-defying dills and having that the comedy to to punch it up as well. There's there's not really a, a dull moment in snatch and I think that also speaks just to the editing of the film, which there's some technical aspects I want to get into. But one thing that I thought was really interesting listening to the commentary for Snatch is there's two or three scenes where or Richie or Vaughn mentioned that, you know, this scene was longer or there was an additional scene or like when they comment on deleted scenes, he's like, oh, I actually really love this dialogue and I wish we could have made it work. But the the scene ends at the same point that the scene started, right? The diamonds in the box and Freddy Four Fingers is tied to a chair with a tea cozy on his head. So you go through the whole scene and you have all this fun dialogue and interaction with the characters, but it doesn't really progress the story. And so you cut the scene out or Bullet Tooth Tony has some really badass dialogue, but it kind of slows down the the pace of the story. And so you have to cut cut it. And I guess it's just kind of, you know, the, the age old 
creative adage of killing your babies. But um, just, I thought it was fascinating that um, so many of the comments that they made was about how, yeah, it was great, but it was too slow. Right. And that, mm. that was something that I felt was repeated was, oh, it was just too slow. And so they, they were really hyper-focused on having that kind of breakneck speed throughout the film. Yeah, and that shows through because, like I said, I, I described it as chaotic. So for for me, that was definitely like my impression of the film. Can you go back? Do you saw that quote up that you that he had talking about the movie? Yeah, the story's about big, large characters, sort of cartoon like. It's really just about having a romp with a load of fellas. Okay, see, because I think that describes it really well. I was just thinking now about kind of like the comedy aspect of it as well. It's, it seems kind of strange. I don't know if it's really a, a defined genre. It's just not really something that I think about a lot. Because I was just thinking about like the violence aspect of it. It seems like throughout the movie, there's more a suggestion of violence rather than actual violence. And I wonder if that's part of like, like a particular part of the genre or it's a crime comedy. Maybe that's the comedy or the cartoon aspect showing through. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's even like English sensibilities. <laughs> But I'm trying to think of like, uh, I think the Boris the Blade gets shot and, you know, there's some some blood and stuff in there, but it's not like, what's that movie, Lucas, with the with the slaves? Django Unchained? Yeah, <laughs> it's, no, it's no Django Unchained. Yeah, it's not Tarantino. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, but, you know, like a lot of times they're just like waving guns around, really. Or like when they shoot up the, uh, the, the bookie. Mm-hmm. You know, no one, no one dies really. So no one barely even gets shot, you know? And so it's like, there's more of the threat of the violence and it, and it's more like maybe, maybe that's the cartoon bit showing through. I don't know. Well, I, I like that. Cause, um, it's actually something I didn't notice until I was watching a, a video essay about Guy Ritchie and they talk about how he avoids, not avoids, but he, I guess is more interested in other things than in showing violence on screen. Because like you said, there, there's a lot of sequences where there's no direct violence, but even I think of the scene where uh, one of the, the two fighters that Tommy suggests they, they get as a replacement for the, the fighter that was injured before they get the, the pikey. Oh, right. That's offensive before they get the gypsy. His, he, he shot himself in the head, right? Do you remember that boxer? Mm -hmm. the, the boxer pulls the gun to his head and then you do this this whip pan Pans to, the, to wall, the wall. Yeah. And then the blood splatter on the wall. And uh, there was uh, one other scene. I think I think um, might be the... I, I don't remember how Freddy Fourfingers is killed. Like he's shot in the head, but like you have the tea cozy. Yeah. And so you don't really see anything, even if that kills on screen. But then when well, and Bullet Tooth Tony I just want to say too, kills. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Boris the Blade, right? He, yeah, uh, he kills him off screen. He's like, he, and, he, and he has to like shoot him like five or six. You yeah. know, he just keeps shooting him. And he's like, <laughs> I'm still alive over here. So yeah. I think that one's, I don't know where you're going with ultimately, but like going back to my point where there's, Kind of like the comedy and the suggestion of violence rather than actual violence. Like that's like the quintessential point in the movie where that shines through, right? Because it's clear comedy. Like, oh, I keep shooting this guy, but he's not dying. But it's not, <laughs> it's not showing it. <laughs> yeah, it takes a, a whole clip to, just to kill Boris the Bullet Dodger. <laughs> um, 
But I that that was the point I was uh, eventually going to get to in my meandering way is I think uh, mm-hmm. one of the reasons you could explain the or one of the motivations you could give to the avoidance of on-camera violence is it would lean the scale between the the comedy and the drama or the comedy and the crime too far to the crime and dramatic side. And it would kind of, you know, if you see like these horrific, you know, murders, like, I don't know, something like out of a Tarantino film where I think of Scorsese's The Departed, where, you know, you see somebody walk up and shoot somebody in the head point blank and you see the blood splatter and the, and the gunshot and the body slumps over on the floor. It's very tonally different to Bullet Tooth Tony standing in a hallway, shooting a guy and turning around and the guy continued talking and turning back and shooting him again. And, and then the guy continues talking and so he shoots him again. I don't know. The, the content is the same, right? In, in both stories, somebody is being killed by a criminal. But how it's presented is just so different tonally. And I think the avoidance of direct on-screen violence helps it helps maintain that comedic balance i mean the show's all about uh kind of tangents right so when i was thinking about uh how guy ritchie avoids on-screen violence in the pursuit of keeping his films lighthearted, i thought of if you remember lynn ramsey's film um is it wish you were here the one with Joaquin Phoenix and the ch- Chomos. Yeah, it might be. So Where he's like a protector. Yeah. <clears throat> Little girl. Because if you remember in that film, there's also very limited on-screen violence. And even I feel like a lot of the violence that we do see, we don't get like a very good image of. I think of when he raids the house and you can see him on the CCTVs. You either see him like fighting someone at the end of a hallway and you can't really make it out or, you know, maybe like shooting into a room and you see him shooting, but not the guys being shot at or or stuff like that, where it obfuscates the violence, but to the complete opposite effect of hiding the violence in Guy Ritchie's work, where Lynn Ramsey wants to, to amplify the kind of disturbing nature of the violence and Guy Ritchie is minimizing that to maintain his comedic tone. And I just think it's interesting how, you know, the, the same philosophy or the same, the same filmmaking technique or idea or concept can be applied in those two opposite ways, right? They're, they're, they're operating with the same technique of um, having violent films without showing violence on screen. But one is to to emphasize the disturbing nature of the violence, and the other is to de-emphasize the disturbing nature and emphasize the comedy. Hmm. I guess keeping up or, or circling back to the I, I don't know. I have a couple of things. So uh, one thing is going back to Sherlock Holmes and the final boxing sequence hmm. of the film. You can fill Guy Ritchie in, in both that and the scene in one of the Holmes movies where Sherlock is in an underground boxing fight and the the guy like spits at the back of his head because Sherlock is going to leave the fight. He gives up. He's like, okay, you win. And the guy spits on his head and so he, he 
like internal monologues his way how he's going to win the fight right block wild haymaker mm-hmm. discombobulate all that jazz and then it plays through lightning speed and that feels so much like the final fight in snatch to me and i think it's it's has to do with uh framing cutting and sound design because both films they have these rapid cuts around the you know the action of the fight and if you watch it without sound um especially snatch it's honestly it gets kind of confusing but with the sound it there these kind of hyper stylized sound design as well with these you know comic whooshes and like these these larger than life sounds to sell the impacts but i feel like as an odd for the audience it kind of guides them through what's happening because it is so choppy and you have all of these shots that you know are lasting one or two seconds in the in the fight um if you watch it without sound it kind of it's just a flurry of images and you you don't you can't really track what's happening but with the sound it leads you through the action more more coherently mm-hmm. which i thought was fascinating just uh the the power of the the mix especially in those fight scenes i don't know i have to like give them a maybe a side by side to like notice similarities cuz i you know i remember like Sean Combs being took like a page out of 300 or something with like the kind of s- slide in slow motion and slide out of it, you know, for the different bits. Mm-hmm. But I guess also like what's similar in my mind is you get like some little guy taking on a giant and somehow like just winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which like, it's fine. You know, you got this one punch guy. I mean, he took out gorgeous, uh, gorgeous wasn't, I think it was George, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Just like a gorgeous Greg, I think somewhere else. But <laughs> I was one punch, and and I'm gonna harp on it, but like it's really not a big deal, and I don't think like it would have improved the movie. But like as an idea, how are you getting these little guys taking out a big guy with one punch? You know, like in Warrior, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Tommy coming out and downing like with the first punch, and that's fine because that's a different movie and showing like what a badass he is, but. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really have a point here. I'm just saying, like, because Pitts and like a I said, legendary. Like, he's he's <laughs> the best bare knuckle gypsy brawler. <laughs> of course, he's gonna beat some yeah boxer. He's a bare knuckle gypsy and, you know, boxer. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of tie it into what we talked about, where like I like I just have absolutely no problem with with him fighting, but that's because it is like a a crime. What is that? A crime comedy. I think like in another context, if it was like a more sober, like a serious movie, if it wasn't a comedy, I don't think I would be a big fan of of the fight scenes just because he has his reasons for fighting, you know, ultimately getting revenge for his for his mom dying and and getting the money. But um, like it's just not sold to me kind of the struggle there, even though it kind of shows him getting beaten up. You know, it's not like it's not like Warrior where it's like the last ounce of his strength and he <laughs> and he pulls it out in the end but yeah it's just different strokes it's a different movie so <clears throat> yeah i just thought it was kind of interesting and i and i did like maybe it's just a different way of showing it because now because i did like where he gets knocked down that bit lands on his back and it's like he's underwater watching the fight kind of thing like in the black box or something yeah <laughs> um 
he goes to the sunken place. Yeah, that's a <laughs> yeah I glad, I'm glad you brought that up because that was that was a image that really stuck with me. Both when you have that that powerful uppercut that sends him flying, and you get Brad Pitt, you know, going horizontal in slow motion, and then landing underwater. I think that that's what I I most like about Guy Ritchie is. I guess his commitment to his own unique visual style, right? And you can see in the special features, he goes into a lot of his storyboards for especially the intro and the character introductions and showing all of these different people coming together. But also Richie's commitment to his his like unique vision and his unique way of showing his story. Um, so you have that underwater sequence, which... Honestly, might be my my favorite sequence of the whole film. Um, I think it's really cool. And then the character introductions at the beginning, with you know the handoff from you know Bullet Tooth Tony to Gorgeous George to you know Statham and Tommy and and Brad Pitt, and you see all of the characters and they have very stylized introductions. You know of them holding jewels or money or bricktop nailing a guy to a pool table. And you, you have those title cards that, you know, you were talking about where they really are something out of like a, a comic book or, or cartoon-esque. Yeah, so I, I don't know, I'm kind of wandering around, but I, I like, I love that sequence and I like the, the commitment to, to the, the visuals of his story, which is one note I, I had made uh, for, for the podcast was the, the detail in cutaways. I think it's, it's, I can't, I don't have like a lot of good examples, but I like that, I guess the effort that is apparent, like the detail that Richie will give them. So when, you know, he, they, Tommy suggests the two boxers that they could use to, to fill uh, gorgeous George's uh, spot on the, the ticket instead of, Statham just saying, oh, that guy went insane and the other guy killed himself. You you get a cutaway, you know, to a new location with a new character and, you know, he's in an insane asylum or he's shooting himself in the head in the shower. And I feel <laughs> like there's a, a consistent dedication to showing something, you know, even if it's a 10 second cutaway and you don't have to you could convey all of that information in just dialogue or it's not the easiest way to, to tell that part of the story. And the same thing with the underwater sequence, right? You don't have to take us to uh, a tank and, you know, spend a day filming in a tank just for this little, you know, 15, 20 second sequence of Brad Pitt underwater, but the commitment to the visuals is something I really appreciate about Guy Ritchie is that he'll he'll take the time and the money and the effort to shoot those little cutaways. And I think probably it might even help with uh, his pacing as well, just because it, it gives him something else to cut away from and kind of maintain that that forward momentum and and kind of the energy, climatic, cinematic energy of his of his films. Yeah, sounds good. I'll buy it. Like you said, there's no fat or something. So you know, like even something that's additive isn't isn't fat. It's it's consistent with 
with uh with everything else you know and as an art form you know it's some, some voice coming through some as a piece of media art i think is what we're seeing there too so, so you know sounds good to me <laughs> <laughs> do you have any more thoughts on snatch do you have like anything that you wanted to to bring up or, or talk about yeah i wanted to say that like i, I like that uh, abraham I, I forget his name now or what they called him i think it was avi maybe yeah the american jeweler he had a great style I liked his hair. I liked his mustache. I liked his clothes. That's that's what I wanted to add here at the end. Yeah, no, he was a pretty suave dude. I like uh, <laughs> when Bullet Tooth is is uh, dragging the Scottish guy in his car, and Avi's just like <laughs> sitting there pensively with his finger against his lips, saying, "Huh, you know, kind of unusual, Tony, but very effective. Not subtle, but effective." <laughs> <laughs> and he's just kind of, you know, he's he's down for whatever. Last couple of things I wanted to talk about. Like I said, I, I had some comments on the the filmmaking techniques that lead into or, or are part of Guy Ritchie's style. We've talked about his fast-paced editing and and the way he propels the story forward and maintains that momentum. But one thing that really um, I think is stand out in Snatch and probably is somewhat consistent in in all of his films like we we talked a little bit about the the sherlock fight scene and the speed ramping he does there there's just so much speed ramping changing of frame rates and that um uh, what do i want to say the freeze frames the the big one is i think uh when they're smashing up uh statham's casino arcade. or whatever no it was an arcade it's arcade he gets the bat and i think he gets the bat and they they like under crank it or i guess over crank it 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 has this weird effect because it's not like they're shooting at a higher frame rate it's they slow they're just slowing it down and so it's actually like kind of like jumpy kind of choppy when it goes into slow motion in that scene but kind of like gives you extra time to understand what's happening and kind of like track the characters which i i don't know i thought i thought that scene was really interesting from an editing standpoint because the he'll he'll go into the slow motion for like moments where it's important that you see something and then he'll go back to normal speed but that way it gives you time to to like recognize what's happening but you're not you're compressing time for the audience but not for the characters if that makes any sense like we still mm. know and understand that the time between when Statham walks into the arcade and when the bat's taken out of his hands is, you know, very short. It's still like 15 or 20 seconds, even though we've watched 30 or 40 seconds of footage. And I just thought that was really, really interesting how he does that, that speed ramping. And um, then with it, there's there's a ton of freeze frames. Like obviously you have the the really louder in your in your face ones like especially in the title sequence gorgeous george hits a punching bag and it freeze phrases on his face and him hitting the bag and then you know tommy falls down and you get a freeze frame of him on the floor and then the the stylized cartoon layout with the the big block letters but also in there's a scene with bricktop when he he tasers and kills the two guys with the plastic bags over their heads and, and, and just that sequence where they taser and bag the guys, there's probably four or five uh, freeze frames. I think it, it has the same effect of the ramping 
does in the arcade scene of it just gives you time to to track what's happening and it kind of puts an emphasis on there's a taser in his back because they tase him pretty quick but it'll freeze frame on the middle of that action and it's just that still image of the sparking taser against his back and then you know like the the bag going over his head or whatever it is you know i'm not sure those are the the actual frames that are freeze framed but I guess, do you have any thoughts like, on, on, on like that technique? I don't really even remember. Well, maybe it's a question. Cause I mean, you talked about like the, the speed ramping and then the freeze frame as like two separate things. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't really remember the, um, like the arcade smashing scene, like what that looked like, you know, with speed ramping or slowing down bits. Mm-hmm. But, um, what I remember, or even like, I guess largely for the freeze frames, to be honest with you, but I do remember, remember in the fright scenes, like when Mickey took that punch and, you know, his head's turned. Yeah. Where's the camera and it? That freeze frame. So I don't think that was like a time, what you're saying to like, um, in this, you know, particular instance to let you catch up or realize, you know, recognize the punch. I think it's, it's more like exaggerating the punch in a sense, right? Which maybe it's like, <laughs> maybe it's the same thing now that I say it out loud. Or I even just come down to style, you know, like a consistency in style. It doesn't have a particular, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, I think they're. Or really wait, closely I think related, there was another one related. Even uh, like mm-hmm. talking about Mickey's punch or Mickey's fall to that punch. Uh, there's the the one that like spins him all the way around, and I think it might be the one with the freeze frame, because there's the the ramping when he goes horizontal before he falls into the water. Right earlier, um, in a, in the earlier round of boxing, there's the one that spins him all the way around, and so he's you know facing away from the the boxer. They triple cut that fall, which I think is just really i don't know interesting on like what compelled them to triple cut it because even like if you're if you watch it like he doesn't even fall the same way because he's falling to his right in the first cut and then they double cut it and he's falling to his left and then they triple cut and it's falling to his right so like it isn't even you know visually consistent in like the the literal physical Mm -hmm. realm of the world but the effect is I don't know. It's well achieved of emphasizing the the gravity of the punch or the hardness of that hit. And then I think also I would argue it it does the same effect of the freeze frame and the the speed ramping of ensuring that the audience is tracking this particular action because it's important that we get this this beat and everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. I guess the big the other one that stands out in my mind, like thinking back, because you know, like I said, I don't really remember like all the different instances of it or or anything like that but it would be like the big reveal at the very end where um brick top rolls down or you know the window rolls down and then you get shot mm-hmm. and uh yeah. you got you got uh i don't remember his name statham's character and tommy stood there and then they're like <laughs> make, making faces the and, and didn't make just smiling <laughs> yeah because <laughs> that was like a that was like a whole yeah there's a dialogue that it was like a it was very pointed. It, it was part of the plot and part of the reveal. So uh, part of the prestige there. So This is one other thing with the, the voiceover as far as filmmaking techniques. And I don't know, I guess maybe we should keep it more focused on Snatch, but I am going to, to talk a little bit about his other films as well. Now, I don't really remember Sherlock all that well. I remember liking him well enough when they came out, but I believe that... Sherlock has a lot of of Sherlock's internal monologue, right? Because that's kind of the the nature of the character. 
is I'd imagine you get a lot of him talking about, you know, solving the case. Do you remember uh, Sherlock much? I guess as much as anything else. <laughs> so I, I just, because I, I, I rewatched the, the boxing scene just the other night because I, I knew I wanted to talk about it on this and was just kind of comparing it to the, the final boxing scene in Snatch. But Rustiger and also Man of Wrath, I... I honestly think Rustiger, I would prefer that to Man of Wrath, which are Guy Ritchie's latest two films. But before that, he did The Gentleman, which I think is probably his his best film. I, I do love Snatch, and I love kind of the the gritty, the fill to it, which is one of the reasons, and we haven't even talked about it, maybe in another episode. I've been thinking a lot about the visual quality of film and kind of, or of movies, and kind of the importance of them as to be suited to the story you're telling. So I think for some reason, I just have an affinity for the the gritty, maybe like low early digital or like large grained film fill, like with Snatch, Pretend You Love Me, The Dirties, Blair Witch, or even stuff like The Lighthouse, where you know, Eggers goes through the effort of getting period glass to put on his <laughs> his film camera and like shooting on, on black and white film because I don't know, I guess it depends on who you ask. People have big opinions on, on film and digital, right? Like Steve Yedlin, the cinematographer for Ryan Johnson's films, he's staunchly in, in the camp that anything you can do on film, you can do digitally. But I think like Eggers and Tarantino and a lot of people... They, they feel like there's an inherent quality to film that can't be captured or replicated. I don't know if I have a, a say one way or the other, but I like the, the end products is what I'm talking about, I guess. I really like the, the grit of Snatch. And also, I, I feel like you can kind of still still tell it's, Guy, it's early Guy Ritchie um, before he got his huge studio budgets and you know was dropping $100 million on a film. And, and there's something I find inherently appealing. And also with Snatch and Lockstock, it really suits the, the type of story he's telling, right? Of, you know, there's not really anybody high class. It's all these lowbrow thugs and, and criminals and kind of the, the London underground. The Gentleman is, might be my favorite of, of Guy Ritchie's work. It's also a crime saga, but it's kind of more elevated. It's about an American who grows thousands of, or he grows tons of, of weed in the UK. And he has this hundred million dollar, several hundred million dollar business, and he's trying to sell it. And there's, it's, it's very much Guy Ritchie. There's all of these other stories going on and you just get this huge cast of elaborate characters, but it is, it does like show its budget. It's a lot cleaner. It's a lot, yeah, just, it, it doesn't have that grit, but I don't think that's bad because the character, the, the main character played by Matthew McConaughey in that film is, is very high class now. And he's like, had his come up, right? And his, his glow up or whatever. But I bring that up because the gentleman, its framing device is of a reporter who has enough like dirt to to bury the the main character is talking to the main character's second in command and kind of telling the whole story of what led up to this and then you know we're cutting back in time to see the events as they unfold or as he imagines they 
unfold because there's some kind of fun like jokey moments where the guy starts embellishing too much and he's corrected that's not what happened uh i was just seeing if you were paying attention but that provides the framework where you can have like motivated voiceover to explain why something's happening in a certain scene and it's the same thing we have in snatch right because we open and close with statham's character and he's saying uh, what do I know about diamonds? I'm a boxing promoter. And then he tells this whole story about how he got the diamond. And then we end with him going to Doug the Head and he's saying, so, well, when you find an 84 carat diamond in a dog, you go to the guy who knows about diamonds and it's Doug the Head. Hmm. But I, I kind of feel like that's an important part of of the formula here because it's so fast paced, because we intercut across so many different stories so quickly and we have such a large cast of characters with so many different subplots happening and Guy Ritchie wants to maintain that that zero fat pace. I think the voiceover can be an important part of keeping the audience along along the cart, right? Like properly paced. I don't know if I'd say that like Rustiger or like Wrath of Man are confusing because of the lack of voiceover, but I feel like the voiceover allows those limits to be pushed of how quickly can we context switch between these two characters in these two locations and like how fast can these cuts be because if they get too fast you can to to be tracked like solely by like on screen sound or dialogue or or visuals it, it's just another way to to keep the story focused and on track both for speed and also to make sure that you don't lose the audience. So I guess, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on the use of voiceover in the film? No, I'm just, nothing beyond what you said. Okay. <laughs> as, a, as a tool to kind of keep it keep it snappy, because it's, like, it's a great way to kind of like interject stuff that, you know, like a real quick and dirty way to, I don't know, that's maybe a quick way to put it, because, I mean, that's kind of adds like a value judgment to it, but, uh, you know, like a quicker way than like exposition or anything like that just to convey information so this is you know the episode of tangents maybe but i think we've talked about doing uh an episode on voiceover haven't we or narration but i think that would be interesting because having the the voice of a character right it, it gives opportunity here in snatch for you know more jokes and kind of help maintaining the tone of the film I, I can't even think of any examples because I don't think voiceover is used heavily in Snatch. At least I don't recall it being so. Just when you were talking, it made me think of the assassination of Robert Ford by uh, of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which is a film I love. I I don't think you're a very big fan, if I recall. But <laughs> I'd have to give it another watch because I didn't. I don't think I like paid attention to it like I sh- you know like you like it deserves. Okay. But did that have a did that have Pitt in it too? Yeah, I think he's uh yeah, he's Jesse James. Okay. And you have um Robert Ford is Casey Affleck and Robert Ford is narrating the film. I believe it's Ford's character who narrates it. Um but either way, there's a very like poetic, florid prose to the narration in that film and like that's just one aspect of it along with like Deacon cinematography. It just like sinks me into that world. And I just, I, that's a great movie. Maybe we should do an episode on that. Good voiceover is voiceover that 
if not grounded in a character, is grounded in the the environment and the tone and, and the character of the film. It it would be weird to have a voiceover that's like waxing poetic in Snatch, right? You don't want him talking about oh the the haze of the light set at midnight, you know, when they're when they're out, you know, trying to kick over a, a bookies with this shotgun and, and still a briefcase from a man with four fingers, right? It doesn't fit, but I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have a point with that, but uh, I think it's a it's a very good use of, of uh, voiceover narration in the film. I'm a fan. And I think it's, like I said, I, I don't really remember any instances. The big ones are just the, the open and close of the film, but it, it just suits it well. So I don't know how well it translates to an, an audio medium, but I wanted to talk about the three car sequence of the film. So it's I'm talking specifically when um, you have Statham and Tommy are going to Boris's house and uh, drinking milk, if you remember. And uh, mm-hmm. you have oh, the, yeah. the three the three black men um, who are telling Boris, who's in the trunk of the car with avi and and tony right and so you have these three cars and they all interact um but like in a weird way i i don't think i noticed it until was re-watching the sequence and or like maybe i was watching it without the sound or whatever it was because it is a sequence that uh guy Ritchie mentions he was really happy with how it came together in the edit and they had to do a lot of work on it just because it's kind of an elaborate scene from an editing viewpoint from a, like a montage view, it actually plays out in the reverse of like the actual order of events. First, I think, Oh, I can't remember now. I should have taken notes. I think first you see Boris get run over and then you see Tommy throw the milk out the window and then you see the car accident. And then the car accident Mm -hmm. kind of like, I think one of the reasons it works is the car accident brings all of the everything we've seen together in like a more consistent like temporal view because with the car accident you see the milk hit the windshield you see the car crash you see Boris in the street and then he gets run over and after that we're more in like normal movie making time and editing but it's it's like I don't know I think that scene is really fascinating it's something I want to like break down more did you did you notice that at all, or like, do you have any thoughts uh, now that I bring it up on on how that sequence plays out? No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. I think it's a good one to to like learn from from an editing standpoint and kind of how how much you can manipulate footage because I think it would honestly be more boring just to you know to, if it played out more traditionally and you saw like the the milk being thrown out and then you saw it splash on the windshield and then you saw the car crash and then you saw Boris climb out and then you saw him get hit by a car. I think it's a, a, a little more boring because like first you see the car crash and you're like, what happened? Like we ran over a guy with a bag on his head. Was that Boris? And then, you know, and then you see, see the, the milk and then it all comes together and you realize what happened at the end. To me, that might be the best edited scene in the film. And I think it, just does a, a really good job of conveying information while while still being like 
interesting because I, I do think the most boring version of that sequence would be the one that is straightforward and by chopping it up and like sliding the events around in the time of the edit and our experience of it it makes it i don't know more compelling for some reason i'm not really sure why like i don't understand how the sequence works i just think it works really well <laughs> if that makes sense yeah this was your your first time watching snatch so what's your what's your thoughts what's your takeaway That's pretty good it's a, it's a fun movie. Cool. I've got the marvelous way of talking. Nobody understands. Thank you so much for listening to Notes from the Silver Screen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, and know someone else who might, please share it. As always, we'll be back right here in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Oh, really? Statham kind of got his break with uh, Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie kind of was the one that got him into filmmaking with Lockstock and then this. And then, you know, after that, he became a, a superstar. Uh, probably Pitt, actually, because Pitt was was definitely, you know, on his rise. Uh, I think 13 Monkeys was a little bit before this. Bullet Tooth Tony is, uh, I, I don't know the actor's name, unfortunately, but... Uh, yeah, you see him around a lot. Yeah. I th- I feel like like he's recognizable. But he was. I think he usually plays like a big tough guy. Yeah, doesn't he? but he wasn't even an actor. I think he does kind of stay uh, in his realm, but he does it well. And uh, in in some of the behind the scenes for Snatch, he even talks about how he doesn't know what he's doing, and so he wants as much help as possible. And you know, he's not afraid to to ask people on how to how to play the scene or or anything like that. Thank you so much for listening to Notes from the Silver Screen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, and know someone else who might, please share it. 
As always, we'll be back right here in a couple of weeks with a new episode on Snatch. With a new episode.